the inheritance. In chapter 14, it ended with Caleb bringing to light such faith in a man of 85 years of age. Caleb included his strong persuasive speech to Joshua requesting his inheritance or his allotment promised to him. Caleb did not ask for the Mediterranean beach house. He did not ask for some quiet, secluded space just for him and with his little garden vineyard. No. Instead, he asked to be given the same section of land that had struck fear into the hearts of the ten spies 45 years earlier. He wanted to go up and conquer that land. That land was the Anakites, or in Hebron is where the giants lived. And again, he wasn't fearful then, and he wasn't fearful now at 85. He says, it's the land that I know that God wants us to conquer and to possess, to inherit. And that was the land he wanted to inherit. How long was he thinking about that? You know, you think about it, he came back and it's just him and Joshua saying, yes, we faith, this is what we'll do. Yes, this is what God's plan is. And then everyone else was fearful and those 10 spies swayed the rest of the people. For 45 years, he watched people die off. And it was just the two of them. And he lived to be able to go into the promised land. I mean, he could have had any part of the land, but he wanted the land that caused such upheaval and turmoil, death in the nation of Israel because of unbelief and not for him because he had belief. But this was the inheritance he desired in the fulfillment of God's earlier promise. Caleb had faith in the presence and the plan of God that God showed him. And he wanted to fulfill that promise and he wasn't backing down. He had the, the strength and the health and the ability as a 40-year-old as now as an 85-year-old. And Caleb's request having been granted, Joshua returned to the business of dividing the land west of the Jordan among those nine and one-half tribes. And that's what we will see uh, over the next several chapters. But as you see as a picture, it kind of lays out in the picture here behind me the borders uh, of the inheritance of the tribes. So we'll not go through all the details because that is a lot of coverage. But you can see, hopefully by the, uh, the color coding, I'm going to remind you that the yellow is the land of Judah that we will describe much of it. And just north of that, you will see uh, two colors. One will be more of a light purple color and below that a kind of a greenish gray maybe color on the screen those are uh, Joseph's two sons Manasseh and Ephraim's lands and we will cover much of that tonight but we see here in chapter 15 verses 1 through 12 the borders or the providence of Judah and it was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families and according to uh, Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward with the extreme southern border. And it goes on and on describing the boundaries, but it goes from the Dead Sea on your, on your right and all the way to the Mediterranean that you see on your left. And that was covered that whole span across the southern part of Israel. Now, this is the boundary of the children of Judah all around according to their families. 
But as all of this may seem tedious to go through and name all of this in the scripture, but not for the people. If you're going to come in and you're, you just bought a house, you want to know where the boundaries are. You want to look and see your entire land that your house is sitting on. And you want to know where those pins are and where the four corners and where the boundaries your neighbors are and what is in there. Is there a water? Or is there a river? Is there trees? Is it flat? Is it hilly? You, you, you spanned over the land that you want to purchase. They needed to go in and possess that land themselves and to see what would be covered. They didn't have pins. They didn't have surveyors that you paid a lot of money for and to, <laughs> to tell you what your landmarkers are. No, they had to possess it and it was natural barriers that would tell them like the Mediterranean Sea and the, the Dead Sea or as far as you go down to another landmark. These were the landmarks that we see written here in those verses 1 through 12. But all of this wasn't tedious to them. They wanted to know exactly what they were to possess and inherit of the land. They needed to know their boundaries and their neighbors, family, tribes that were going to be next to them. And Judah was the first to receive the inheritance as the largest tribe of their, her portion, exceeding any other of the tribes. But Judah had surrounded of where they were at, surrounded by outside enemies all around them because they filled so much of the southern border. It included the Judean or the Judean Valley or the Valley of Eskol, which is where the spies cut down the giant clusters of grapes and how beautiful and fertile that land was. If you remember in Numbers 13, verses 23 and 24, that is where all oh, those beautiful huge, massive uh, clusters of grapes and other uh, uh, promagants and other items that they brought back to prove how beautiful this land of milk and honey is. That's what they possessed. And this is the tribe from which the Messiah would come from and the land that he would come up to and grow into. And we see that in Matthew 1 and also Luke chapter 3 that he would be part of this tribe. Now in verses 13 through 19, the land is allotted to Caleb and his family. It says, Now the, the Caleb, the son of Jephanua, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjeth Arba, which is, which is Hebron, Arbo was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak. From there, Shishai, uh, Ahiman, and Telmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debar. Formerly, the name of Debar was Kirjeth Sefer, or Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kerjeth Sefer, and takes it to him, I will give Akisha, my daughter, his as wife. So uh, Othnanel, uh, the son of Kenez, the brother of Caleb, took it and gave him to Akisha, his daughter, as wife. Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for the field, for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? And she answered, Give me a blessing. 
Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. So, she, so he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So we see here in verses 13 through 19, Caleb giving his, his land, his prime land. And Caleb was not only a man of great and bold deeds and works that he was willing to accomplish for God. He had nothing. Age didn't restrict him to do what God wanted him to do. Uh, and the dividing out of the, uh, you know, to drive out the children of Anakin, um, was, he, was, he was willing to do that for God. But he also was a man who encouraged others to great and bold deeds. Because of his actions, we can see that others did bold things as well, like his daughter. He did this by offering his daughter in marriage to this man who was bold enough to go in and conquer one of the cities. So it wasn't just him. He had others who had raised up when they watched him go and by faith and do great things for God. It will encourage others to stand up and do great things for God. As hard as they may be, they're willing to do it. And he did it. And his reward was to be able to marry his daughter. This also happens to be his nephew. It was his brother's son. And so he became his son-in-law. We see that in Judges. He also, this young man, became a judge. We see in Judge chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. As well as Caleb's da- uh, Caleb's son-in-law now doing bold things for God, we see his daughters like the father and was bold and said, hey, let's ask dad for a blessing. Not only get to get a land, but let's go get some choice springs, two springs that, that would provide for them in that southern part of Israel. And he granted those prime locations. Now, in chapter 15, verses 20 through 62, we see the actual cities and the villages and the regions occupied by the tribe of Judah. And it talks about the inheritance of the tribe of the children of of Judah. And it goes through all of those areas all the way to the end of of verse 62. End of verse 63, we see that it was not a complete occupation. It It wasn't complete inheritance. It was incomplete. Why? Because in verse 63 of chapter 15... Jerusalem remains in the Canaanite hands. Look at look at verse 63. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. So they take possession of all of these cities, all these things, a hundred cities they are capturing here named. Instead of naming all the hundred cities tonight, I'm going to let you read it for yourself for a reading pleasure. But a hundred cities, but not Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a point where the Canaanites were going to fight to the end to make sure they were not kicked out of there. Why were that kicked out? I mean, we can understand why Jerusalem was a city hard to conquer because it sat on a hill and made it very easy to defend and, and kind of keep the, 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 those who were trying to occupy, they couldn't get them out. They're on high land. But even though they had the strength to dwell and, and, and take over 100 cities, 
and had seemed to have no little or any struggle in taking over those cities. But they had a significant challenge with Jerusalem. We also see later that seven of these cities were later given to Simeon's tribe. We see that in the map right in the middle uh, of of that yellow space on the map here. You see. We also see the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah in Jerusalem to this day. means they never left. Yet no matter how hard the struggle with God's promise to inherit it all, God said he was going to help them to inherit all of it. They could have triumph over Jerusalem even. They had no real excuse why they could not get them out of Jerusalem. They just had major battles with giants, but they couldn't get the Canaanites out of Jerusalem. You always have to ask the question, why? We know historically, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6-10 through 10 tells us that the Canaanites kind of stayed there until the time of David. But they struggled. They did not have, they had incomplete occupation. They did not have complete inheritance when it came to that city. And that caused major problems, as we will see in, the, in history here. Now, in Joshua chapter 16, we see the inheritance of the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. We see in verses 1 through 4 that the borders of that providence, that area that there belongs to the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and half the tribe of Manasseh, because the other half was on the east side of the Jordan, remember. So it was the other half on the west side. And it's settling in this west side of the Jordan area. So a lot fell on the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains of Bethel. Then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along to the border of the Erechites and at Eretoth, and went down westward to the boundary of the Jebusites as far as the boundary of lower Beth Horon to Jezer, and it ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. Now you will find here as we continue that, don't forget, Joseph with the two, bro- two sons, that was two large tribes. The two of those tribes were larger than any other tribe. And so it's interesting, you will see some pushback here uh, in regards to the de- defining the borders of the providence there for Ephraim in verses 5 through 10. Uh, it describes the land that they would, the full tribe here, not the half a tribe of Manasseh, but the full tribe of Ephraim, according to their families. And they possess that land there that you see in verses 5 through 10. And to the very end there, you note there at the last sentence, it says, And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. But the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. There seems to be a trend as we go through this. They conquer everybody except a little bit of the Canaanites. And those Canaanites end up becoming forced laborers. They're the ones doing the hard work for the Israelites. It's fine interesting, don't you? A pattern, as we would say. 
They don't fully possess the inheritance. They end up letting the enemy dwell among them, which causes much challenges of foreign false gods and, and false worship because they're dwelling together. But they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer because their failure to completely drive out the Canaanites is the typical of all the tribes. Even within the promised land, there remained important work to do and battles to fight, but they wouldn't do it because they'd rather have them there to not have to go for another battle, but use them as forced laborers to do hard work for them. But perhaps the people of Ephraim were guilty of this compromise because they wanted these forced laborers among them. Even this convenience does not justify the disobedience to God's command. You can sit there and rationalize all you want. Lord, you know how tired we are. We could really make them work and do all the hard stuff. We can do other worship you and do other things. I don't want, I just want to worship you, Lord. I don't want to do any hard work. Let someone else do the hard work. You can rationalize all you want. When God says, this is what I'm asking you to do and calling you to do and having the full inheritance, you cannot justify in disobedience to God's command and think just because it's convenient makes some logical sense. If they had the power to make the people of Jezer forced laborers, they certainly had the power to defeat them and completely and remove them from the land. Especially because Jezer was a city that Joshua had already conquered. We see that in Joshua 10.33 and Joshua 12.12. He had already conquered that land. He already made a way for that to happen. But they would not go in and completely take them out. They turned around and saw an opportunity to make things easier for them. They didn't realize they ended up making a bad choice that ended up Letting the enemy dwell among them it caused them some major problems in the future. But this sort of compromise seems innocent at first. But it became the way that much of the idolatry and the immorality, worship that was not acceptable to God, was adopted by the people of Israel. And this is one reason why we see so many struggles in the days of the judges. Because they compromised and did not conquer and inherit at all and kick out the enemy. That's why the judges had such challenges. But they were to, did not drive out the Canaanites. The Israelites did not fully conquer for two reasons. One is that they wanted the peace at any cost. Let's just keep the peace. Well, you're not going to have peace when you have the enemy dwelling within the house. <laughs> there's, not, there's, things not, there's not an alignment. There's not unity. There's an enemy coming after you and, and, and looking to destroy you and, and, and living completely different than what God's called you to do. Watch out. But let's just keep the peace. Don't, don't say anything. We'll just keep the peace. And the second, they wanted wealth. They had... They had laborers to work for them. It was easy money. They didn't have to pay them probably. But they dissipated God and fell short of what he had for them. As many times we do today. The decision to not drive out the Canaanites became a fatal mistake in the latter centuries. We see in the time of Judges the arrangement was reversed 
as the Canaanites grew in power and rose up and actually enslaved the Israelites later on in Judges. That's what will happen. You let sin dwell within your life. It's, a matter of, it's only a matter of time that sin is going to take over your life. They let them dwell within that false immorality and the false worship and that ended up taking over God's people. The church does not stand firm in the word of God and allows the culture to come and rise up. It will come into the church and will take over the church. And we see that everywhere now. Because they compromised. They've allowed the culture to in. Besides historical lessons, that is a spiritual principle here as well. It is also easy for a believer to tolerate and excuse some pet sin only to wake up someday to some disastrous realization that it actually has risen up and taken possession and drive you to spiritual defeat, enslave you in the sin. It pays to deal with sin decisively and harshly. That's what they should have done with the Canaanites. In Joshua 17 and verses 1 through 2, we see the distribution of the land among the remaining families of the tribe of Manasseh, that half a tribe. It says there was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. Namely, for Makar, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war, and therefore he was given Gilead in Bashan. And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abishir, the children of Helek, the children of Asheral, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of Emida, these were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. Now, in verses 3 through 6, we see there's an interesting you know, dynamic that happens here. Is The inheritance for Zelophehad did not have any son, if you remember that story, uh, back in Numbers 27 verses 1 through 11, there was a situation at hand where he never had sons, but he had five daughters, if you remember when we studied Numbers. And Zelophehad, the son of Hever, the son of Gilead, the son of Mechur, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. It goes on here through uh, to the very end where they are now, if you remember, they came to Moses and they made a decision even back at, when Moses was in power that it was granted by Moses through God a granting that when they went into the promised land, that those five daughters would be granted, that father's tribe of five daughters would be able to inherit land. And now they're in the promised land. These five daughters spoke up and said, wait a minute. He goes to the high priest, remember to Eliezer, Aaron's son, and, and, and who came to Joshua. And they went to the tribal leaders. And remember, they said, wait a minute. We have inheritance. Remember, we can have this. Remember what Moses said. And they all agreed. They knew what it was. So these five women claimed and received their portion of the territory of Manasseh. 
So we see that all taking place here in verses 3 through 6. But look at what happens in verses 7 through 13 of chapter 17, when the boundaries of the western half of tribe of Manasseh becomes, again, an incomplete occupation of the land. They do not take the full possession, the territory of Manasseh. As we look at that, these cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. So when you take a look and read through this, the border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook. It was in the end of the sea. And you'll see it on the map behind me. When you look at that property and you look at that inheritance in the land, they came to the conclusion that there was a failure uh, that they didn't possess they didn't, again, they didn't possess all the land. They didn't, they, had the, they didn't drive out the inhabitants of those cities. And because of that failure, the same pattern as the failure of Ephraim in Joshua 16.10, that same pattern taking place after place after place, it becomes a problem for the tribes. The Canaanites would be de- were determined to dwell in the land. Why wouldn't they? They were dwelling there. But they did not completely have this determination to do what God says they were to do and have complete obedience. They were willing to compromise for whatever reason to take the easy path or see, again, look at what the other tribes are doing. They're using forced labors. They can do the hard work for us. We can enjoy land. Uh, we can enjoy our land, enjoy life. We've been traveling. Our, 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 our tribe has gone, you know, nations have been going across the desert. We deserve all this. Let someone else do the hard work. Whatever the mindset was, they did not inhabit all the land. They did not drive out the inhabitants of those cities that the Canaanites were determined to dwell in. Now, there becomes a complaint, though. In verses 14 through 18 of chapter 17, as they get Ephraim in place, they get the half a tribe of Manasseh in place, we see these two sons of Joseph now complains to Joshua in verse 14 when the children of Joshua spoke, Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then you go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself. There in the land and of the parasites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. But those who are of Beth Shean and its towns and those who are in the valley of the Jezreel, that Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, this is his response, you're complaining, you, I gave you the lot, this is what you're getting, I recognize you're large and you're taking and you're consumed and some of the land is not occupiable because you've got enemy that you're not willing to go kick them out because they seem to be too strong for you. You've got trees above you and mountains and that doesn't seem to give you enough land to do and you're complaining about that. So what does Joshua do? He responds to the house of Joseph, to the actual two brothers and saying, you're a great people and have a great power. 
You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. So Joseph doesn't sit, uh, Joshua doesn't sit there and say, well, let me take care of your problem for you. He says, you're a large tribe. Go take possession and expand. You can have more. If you want to clear the trees and expand and have more, you can certainly have it. But you have to conquer the, the Canaanites and get them out. You can't sit there and justify and be afraid of them. We've already shown that God's with you. Go and clear them out. Take possession for your land because your one tribe and a half a tribe is too many people and you need more land. That's what you're going to get to expand beyond the one lot I gave you. So Manasseh and, and Ephraim were the large tribes, yes. And their combined numbers were greater than any other single tribe, yes. But they complained that they had not had allotted adequate land. So of course a complaint, they're asking for more. But Joshua's reply is both wise and wonderful, is it not? Because he's not going to sit there and say, well, let me go give you some other land somewhere else. He says, you've got plenty of land. Just expand it and, take it and get the, the uh the enemy's out. That's what you're hindered by. And that you need to have full occupants of your inheritance. You need to do the work to go obtain that additional land among the mountain country. Which is allotted territory for you. And yes, we know it's hard. We know it's dangerous work. But that is what you need to do. To be able to expand your territory. Now, how different it is for these two boys to come back and complain to daddy, who then complains to Joshua why they didn't get more land. Whereas Caleb said, I'll go and conquer the giants. I'll go take the hardest land. I'm going to do it. It's in an attitude that is settled in their hearts. And they were not willing. They wanted an easy land. They wanted it given to them. But Joshua said, no, we're not going to just give it to you. You have to. Go and possess it yourself. Go with God's promise and go out and take what God has given them. It's a principle. The principle applies just as strongly for us today. If we desire more of something, the first thing to do is to be as faithful as we can where we are and allow God to expand that territory of what he wants us to do. Perhaps they appealed to Joshua as a fellow Ephraimite. Joshua, you come from us. You're an Ephraimite. Why wouldn't you give us like, a, like the three times the size with everybody else? You're one of us. But he did not. See, the purpose of this whole section of all these cities and boundaries and land and territories and starting to divide them up. And we'll finish, Lord willing, uh, the next time we will finish up the rest of the division of, uh, of the tribes and their land from this map. But the purpose of this section may well be the alert that the Israelites to the fact that the tribes had to act in courageous faith. They were to go and possess and do the hard work that God's called them to do. It's not easy. Many times people don't do anything for God because it's not easy. 
Immediately they think they're having any resistance or any challenges, they stop and say, it must not be of the Lord. We'll just stop. God didn't promise us an easy life as a Christian. I joke all the time, don't I not? When you're said, oh, I'll do this for God. And I say, eh, I hope you're praying because you're going to need it. Oh, it's only going to take me 30 minutes. It's going to take me an hour. It's only going to take me a day. It's only, oh, I can figure this out. There's no problem. I've done it millions of times. And they're still doing it. You'll be challenged. There'll be tests. It's going to come. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take faith. It's going to take courage to possess the promise fully that God has promised you. They were to possess the inheritance, and that inheritance was the promised land fully. Was it not? Father, we thank you for your word this evening. And again, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy upon us. And as we take a look and see in your word tonight, yes, lots and lots and lots of territory and boundaries and cities and, and all these names of families that were just, after all the years, all the years, like Caleb, so excited to go in and conquer something that seemed to have conquered the fear, had conquered the people so many, 45 years prior. And now he was going in and overcoming still fear And at age of 85. We see the fact that Joshua stayed firm on doing what God you told him and directed him to do, to, div to div by lots, to div divide up the land, and to give according to the portion of the size of their um, of their tribes and places. But we again, Lord, the fact that of your grace and mercy and the fact that you're even giving them this promised land and your fulfilling of your promise certainly wasn't in their timing, certainly wasn't in their way. But may they be trusting you and may we trust you, God, that sometimes you call us to do something and it doesn't play out the way we think it is, the way it sh we thought it was going to be. And, and it, the easiest, it would be easier. And, uh, but no, Lord, we know that if you promise us something, we know it will be fulfilled. May we be vessels willing and open and faithful to fulfill those promises that you've given us the inheritance to the fullness of our relationship with you. As a child of God, may we fully embrace that inheritance as a child of God and, uh, and be willing to live by faith and not by sight. As many of these Israelites did, they lived by sight. They didn't live by faith. But many did, Lord, and we see that through uh, these uh, through this book here in Joshua, Lord, as people stepped out and, and you were leading and giving them the strength to conquer the giants and conquer the land and the enemies. But they compromised. May we not compromise, Lord, in our walk with you. Again, thank you and praise you for your graces this day. In Jesus' name, amen.